Oh, man. Ugh. How did I get up so early on Saturday mornings as a kid? I'm 41, <laughs> but I feel like I'm 451. Oh, <laughs> morning, Pemmy. Morning. Uh, sounds like you haven't had your morning cup of coffee like I have. Actually, I don't drink coffee. It's more just I inject it right into my bloodstream. That way I can be up and ready for every single cartoon that's going to come. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James have a sort of hopefully funny cartoon Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish, and I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And welcome to the Pemmy and James Kinda Sorta Hopefully Funny Cartoon Podcast. Yay! We are going to be tackling as many eras of animation, as many styles of animation, as many things yeah. as we can come up with uh, over the course of this bi-weekly podcast, all in the name of getting more eyes on our other projects. <laughs> And science <laughs> and episodes, because we're going to watch a variety of episodes too. So, oh yes, and and though we are get, and though we are not limiting ourselves in terms of eras, we decided to get started with some cartoons from our own childhoods. Starting today with the real Ghostbusters. Real Ghostbusters, not those fake imposter, cheap, off-brand Ghostbusters, which actually were a thing. <laughs> kinda, kinda. Um, it, it's it's complicated. See, the reasoning for the there's two reasons for the title "Real Ghostbusters" in the show's canon. In the very first episode, in fact, the Ghostbusters depicted in our cartoon are supposed to be the ones the 1984 movie is based on with Murray, Aykroyd, Ramis, etc., being actors hired to portray them. The reality of the situation, though, has to do more with copyrights. Yeah, good old Filmation made a uh, made a live-action TV show called Ghostbusters in the 70s, and it was like Ghost Space Busters. And whenever the Ghostbuster movie got made, they uh, had to, they, they secured a copyright uh, deal with... Uh, with Filmation, they used the Ghostbuster name for the movie because they tried coming up with a different name, but nothing sounded as good as Ghostbusters. And so Filmation's response was, well, that movie sure did well. Let's revive our old TV show as a cartoon to get some of that Ghostbuster money. 
And rest assured, we will be taking a deeper dive at the quote-unquote original Ghostbusters in a much later episode. So in the meet, so while that was airing in syndication that same year, ABC wanted more of that sweet Ghostbusters money, and the via producers Joe Medjuk and Michael C. Gross, the real Ghostbusters would debut on Saturday mornings on ABC that year, 1986. Uh, if I remember right, Lou Scheimer of Filmation actually said he regretted not not asking them to let him make like the movie cartoon as part of the deal whenever they originally made the movie. <laughs> that makes a world of sense. In fact, that probably could have kept Filmation up and running for years and years. But then again, we probably would have also wound up with a very different cartoon. Yeah, I don't think it would have been as good as this one. Deke did a hell of a job on this show. Well, for the first few seasons, anyways. For the first few. Uh, we will get into the Slimer and years as well in another podcast. Boy, I'm, I'm, set, I'm setting this up for a massive workload. You can smack me anytime you want. Ow! You said it. I was kidding! But the real Ghostbusters cartoon, yeah, it aired uh, on ABC, but it also had a first-run syndication set of episodes for the second season, which was like 65 episodes. And both the episodes that we're viewing today actually, or re talking about today, ha ha came from that syndicated season, which in my opinion is the best season of the series because since it was on syndication, they were able to get away with a lot more. So they actually talked more about things like demons and the occult. I mean, they had an episode with the freaking Necronomicon for Christ's sake. <laughs> Yeah, and I think some censors uh, or some morality watch group of some sort tried to get them in trouble for that, saying that it was an actual real thing. That Yeah, that came later, like in the later seasons when the censors started to be a lot more strict with the show. Uh, they, The uh, writer, uh, Traskinski, um, tried to, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, tried to like bring back the Necronomicon in a later episode and... ABC censors were like, no. And he's like, why? It's a fictional book. They're like, no, it's a real occult book. And he's like, no, no, it's not. H.P. Lovecraft created it for his stories. And they're like, no, no, it's a real book. You can't do that. Of course, uh, J. Michael Straczynski is best known today as the creator of Babylon 5. But back in the 80s, he was all over the place in the animation world. In fact, we'll be seeing him again in our next episode. Tune in for that. And the other ma major writer for the series was a gentleman named Michael Reeves, who's, who, who was also an, who was not only a science fiction author, but was writing for nearly every cartoon that seemingly mattered in the 1980s. I think his credits included Smurfs, the original My Little Pony cartoon, I think I saw He-Man on there, and just scores of others. It's amazing how many people worked on He-Man, to be honest. Oh. No kidding. But yes, Straczynski wrote the first of today's episodes, Chicken He Clucked, which, oh my good word, what what a premise for a Ghostbusters episode. I don't think we can see a single ghost in this one. Hey, you get demons. Demons and an imp. True. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're spectral or... Uh, Paranormal. Paranormal, yes, thank you. Yeah, the, the episode has to do with a guy who 
Uh, he lives. He has an apartment above a chicken like restaurant, and because of that, all the smells of the chicken keeps coming in, and it's driving him crazy. Because everything in his apartment smells like chicken, and he gets driven crazy to the point where he just wants every chicken on earth gone. So he like he conjures up a demon, and they they, they skirt around the topic, but pretty much he sells his soul in order to get, be able to get rid of every chicken on Earth, which actually completely embarrasses the demon he conjured up. Yeah, that is basically the Tencent version of the plot. But the <laughs> devil, as they say, is in the details, and how appropriate for this episode. Our antagonist, who Pemi just... Uh, described his motivation, is named Cubby. And, oh, what a misanthropic character design we've got here. His posture is perpetually hunched over. His nose is more of a beak than any chicken I've ever seen. And the way his tank top fits him, you can tell it hasn't been washed in weeks. <laughs> he, I think they're trying to make him look like he's kind of been turning into a... He, I think he's physically meant to look somewhat like a chicken, though I... It I surprised me. <laughs> though I, I was amused by, like, he was like, my my shirt smells like polyester chickens. I'm like, that's a tank top, dude. I don't think that's made out of polyester. <laughs> well, they're, they're probably, probably a poly cotton blend. You know, mixed linens are a thing, and, uh, well, apparently mixed linens are also are also against biblical scripture, so this guy's already got one foot in Hell's door. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, this guy, ooh, he he, he went off the deep end. Bad. Yeah. yeah I, I, if he's not intended to resemble a chicken, maybe he's supposed to represent Sonny, because he's clearly Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs! Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs! <laughs> uh... Uh, that's one of the things that's cool about this show, though. Deke got a lot of really interesting, like, designers on some of their shows that, like, you'll get random characters in the real Ghostbusters or Captain N that just, the designs of them are just like, how did you think of these designs? Yes, and we will definitely be discussing some, uh, more of those designs over the course of both of the episodes we're discussing today. We will try and do them as much justice as we can in a strictly audio format. So, I will. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you, you go ahead. Oh, let's see. I was just going to say that uh, these aren't my favorite episodes of The Real Ghostbusters, but they were two episodes that I thought were just so WTF that they had to be talked about. <laughs> you ain't just whistling. Well, nobody whistles Dixie anymore, nor should they. <laughs> well, I, I gotta come up with a different thing to whistle. Pixie? Okay. We'll, we'll <laughs> workshop it. See. So we catch up with our heroes in the episode in the library. And, uh, you know, Peter's naturally is trying to flirt with a librarian who looks for all the world like Blonde Bailey. <laughs> but I'm serious. She, she has the same hairstyle as the member of WWE's Four Horsewomen back when she was portraying a babyface character. You know, the side ponytail, almost exactly the same length and everything. I, I like how amazingly 80s she looks. And then there's like this other girl that'll come up behind Egon and she just looks completely like normal compared to like how much attention was put into this girl. No kidding. Um, yeah. Peter tries to like hit on her, strikes out bad 
And then Egon comes up, and she's already like instant, instantly interested in Egon. Well, Egon's carrying this huge stack of books, so many he can barely even carry them. Of course the librarian is going to be at least curious, and, well, if Egon is anywhere near as handsome in the Ghostbusters universe, or considered to be that, as the real-life Harold Ramis was back in those days, I don't think I could blame her. Well, I, I think she's more. I, I think she's more just impressed with that freaking pompadour he has in this show. I mean, holy crap! How do you even make your hair do that? Yeah, we we talked about a lot of hair gel for Birdie and Street Fighter back when we did that podcast on Gaming Street Regulars. Please listen. But but yeah, this is definitely approaching that level. I, it's like he just takes a giant hair curler and puts it into like all of his hair and then pulls it out. <laughs> So Egon was looking for three other tomes, uh, two of which were spiritual uh, um, things that you wouldn't think would be in a New York City library, and the third being Who's Who and What's What magazine. One of these things is not like the other. (laughs) One of these things just doesn't belong. But they've all been checked out by Cubby, who is looking at them and laughing to himself hysterically. Immediately, Egon has the same suspicion he, he with the movie Egon had upon receiving a possessed Lewis Tully. Uh, uh, but apparently, Cubby is at least not paranormal, in according to the PKE meter. Yeah, it's like, is he human? <laughs> I like I like that scene that the librarian's like, is he human? And Egon's like, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Egon approaches our antagonist and uh, tries to advise him against uh, doing anything untoward with these books. But Cubby just runs away laughing, and we get the most delicious example of Egon's trademark snark, clearly from the shallow end of the gene pool. (laughs) I I also like how the animators had that stack of books covering his mouth most of the time to save time on animation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a technique... Cosgrove Hall made infamous on Danger Mouse. <laughs> Filmation does that quite a bit, too. Oh, yeah. See, Kirk just happens to have his hand over his mouth in multiple scenes of the Star Trek cartoon. Oh, that's a show we'll have to talk about sometime. Oh, definitely. I, I know a ton of people in the, in the Flower City Comic Con group who would be jumping over each other to try and get the guest spot on that episode. <laughs> actually my favorite filmation cartoon but that's beside the point so we arrive at the ghostbuster station in, in our next scene and the gang are relaxing in their own unique ways it turns out the book peter checked out was a pop-up book <laughs> that scene cracks me up though because he just he just you see him with the book and he opens up and he's like oh <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, so surprised by it. No No wonder he struck out with the other librarian. (laughs) I I do like, though, that uh, it does give us, uh, rather than just going into, like, directly the plot, it did give us, like, a little moment of just getting to see the Ghostbusters kind of relaxing. Like, we saw Egon's trying to take... Uh, do some sort of equation and Peter's looking at the book and and, uh, Winston's playing chess against some machine. It's stuff that's like not necessary, but it's yeah. still nice to be there, and it gives the characters like a little bit more depth. 
yeah, it's good to see these characters have interior lives outside of simply ghostbusting. It does give a sense of place and and time to these to this setting, which I greatly appreciate. Yeah. But I definitely want to talk about Egon's <laughs> equation chalkboard for two reasons. First of all, this is the first time in the cartoon we see the character who is great in small doses, but it's it is all too easy to overdose on our old friend. Yeah, it's Slimer. also worth mentioning that in these episodes, his his talking is less intelligible. It's more like gibberish, which in like the later seasons they made him more understandable. Yeah, we, this is, we should mention the first of our uh, of our noted cast of voices in this show. The one, the only Frank Welker who voices both Slimer and Dan Aykroyd's character, Ray Stans. And, oh my god, if if you thought Frank got vocal workouts just, just alternating between Freddy Jones and Scooby-Doo in the, in the latter, latter incarnations of that show, wait till you hear the gibberish that comes out of him portraying Slimer. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that uh, Frank is also the demon that gets conjured in this episode as well. Yes, yes, that did. That definitely did sound like him. In fact, I think he was also. Was he also the demon at the desk? I'm not sure on that one. He might have been. I know he's not that random, like, other demon that came in and gave the demon. That was teasing the demon. Because that was. Uh, yeah. That was Lorenzo Music again. Yeah, that was definitely Lorenzo Music. One of the few times I've ever heard Lorenzo Music do a voice other than his natural, sleepy. <laughs> Garfield voice. Garfield voice. Yes, Lorenzo is best known as Garfield, but you know, for the first three seasons, he is here as Peter Venkman primarily. I think and his delivery is just so wonderfully dry. Yeah, I think he's like I like him a lot better than his replacement voice actor they got later, but we can probably talk about that later but yeah despite the fact it's obviously the same voice as garfield it works really well for peter's like just dry delivery and sarcasm but back to our little equation board (laughs) it turns out slimer solves the equation Uh, and i'm i'm sitting there going wait what that 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 gluttonous ghost of john belushi just just figured the whole thing out almost Almost, yes. Egon comes in and says he missed a decimal. But then Egon drops a parental bonus by ref- by saying maybe Slimer should consider working for Carl Sagan. <laughs> I do not think very many people in this show's target audience would know who an astrophysicist was by name. I honestly think that's kind of the point, because I kind of feel like these syndicated shows were trying... Actually, I'm pretty sure about this. Was trying to put in stuff that would both be interesting for like the kids and the adults, while the Saturday morning one definitely felt more like it was just trying to go for the kids. Yeah, that that is definitely a reasonable estimation because the parents would more likely be up and about and in the room while the kids are watching, especially if this was in an afternoon time slot, like it was when I was growing up on uh, Channel Thirty One. Fox. Yeah, well, it was, would, no. What would soon be Fox. Back then it was just a UHF. 
Yeah, it was uh, also being re. The, yeah, these syndicated episodes were being reran on a local channel whenever I lived back in Ardmore, Oklahoma. But I, I love this local access channel that we had because it would play stuff like the real Ghostbusters and stuff that you know are pretty well known. But it also played just random weird stuff like filmation cartoons, like Sport Billy and stuff, which is why I know about so many very ah! odd cartoons. You can't see it right now, but I'm making the sign of the cross of my microphone at the so- at the sound of Sport Billy. <laughs> um, but uh, we should also probably mention that Egon is voiced by uh, Maurice LaMarche, who is... Ah, uh, yes. One of them, definitely a renaissance man among voice artists. Best known for uh, Brain from uh, Pinky and the Brain from the Animaniacs. And still doing Brain on the new version of the Animaniacs. And if you need an impression, Maurice LaMarche is usually a good bet. Dis- you know, Disney certainly knows this. Uh, their casting crew folks called him up when they were making Zootopia. You got a Marilyn Brando impression in your pocket? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Great, come to the studio. And thus he was Mr. Big. Uh, yes, and also uh, he's probably most well-known, though, for his ability to imitate uh, Orson Welles. To the Naturally, p- the brain and other roles, but because uh, he did, he's done Orson Welles for like uh, the critic, but he also did it hilariously in the movie Ed Wood because the guy actor they got to play Orson Welles didn't sound anything like Orson Welles, so they dubbed him over with Maurice Marsh doing Orson Welles. And one last note: uh, Maurice used his mostly natural voice, though I could you could probably forgive yourself for thinking a little Orson Welles slipped in there at narrating the mental mind trip of a uh, Studio Ghibli movie, Pom Poco. Oh, lordy. Uh, (laughs) Also, he's also really good at imitating Vincent Price, which got him uh, the role of doing Vincent Van Gogh in both Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated and the Scooby-Doo movie, The 13th Ghost. So, Okay. You can tell we're big fans of this guy. Well, it, an interesting note, though. About, I actually met him once, but uh, so did I. He's a really nice guy. Oh, absolutely. He he got really excited because I asked him to do Egon's voice because he uh, he usually just gets asked to do Brain most of the time. Naturally, but you know, I saw him at a Toronto at uh, Fan Expo Canada uh, the same year that the Ontario Ghostbusters awarded him an honorary membership, and apparently he was flabbergasted nice uh he also told me uh, told me an interesting story which was uh either he told me this or i saw it on a video i can't remember so i'm gonna say that just to cover my basis but the funny thing about him getting the role of egon was when they he said all the voice actors came in the audition they were told not to imitate the original actors and yet he imitated Harold Ramis anyways and got the job. <laughs> That's right. I, I did read that. <laughs> he also... And since we're on the topic of the voice actors, we should round out the Ghostbusters with Winston Zedmore, voiced here by stand-up comedian and rising star at this time, though not yet a late-night talk show host, Arsenio Hall! Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you probably noticed the note I put in um, when I, what I sent you, uh, Pemmy, that uh, we almost wound up with the actual Winston Zedmore on this show. 
Yeah, that's really crazy. Ernie Hudson auditioned for Winston and didn't get it. And on top of that, I, I know this because or I know this because I heard Winston tell this story at a Niagara Falls Comic Con that the casting director told even told him to do things more like Ernie Hudson. How can he do stuff more like Ernie Hudson when he is Ernie Hudson? Yeah, that that's positively embarrassing. But hey, Arsenio acquits himself pretty well. He, he does a good job in this. I actually like him a lot as Winston. Um, let's see. And uh, who's the one that voices Janine? Uh, is it Laura Summer? That would be Laura Summer. Ah, yes. I forget what else she's done. I, I don't. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but she's so good as Janine in this. I love how she's got that perfect, like, nasally kind of sarcastic tone to her. It's it's so good. Oh, yeah. She she definitely channels Annie Potts very well. It, it's a really good cast of voice actors on this show. Uh, yeah. And it's just the five of them holding things up uh, on this syndicated season. At least according to the credits. Yeah. And and just to mention Frank again, Frank is always amazing because this is the guy who's literally voiced over a thousand cartoon characters. And by box office gross, he's the top earning perfor- male performer, period. Even ousting Samuel L. Jackson when I last looked. Damn. Damn. All those Transformers movies. That, that probably helps. I mean... Heck, the original G1 Transformer cartoon, he was like half the cast. Essentially. So let's get back to our episode in progress. Where uh, Cubby is uh, in apparently Central Park, and to summon the demon, he's rattling off a mixture of gibberish and Borscht Belt comedy patter. (laughs) I'll insert the appropriate audio here. Rasta fairy, walla walla wackamore, zim zam, how's it going? Having a good time, Vishnu over here, writing your fine work. Hooray! Hooray! And this gets the attention of Morganon, who who is brought to the uh, to the mortal realm by his dispatcher, accompanied by begrudgingly uh, Morganon's imp. Now, I Pemi, you're you know your Dragon Ball. <laughs> Did this remind you any of the Home for Infinite Losers? It, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, what's his face uh, when when uh, Goku first dies and sees a uh, what's his name King Emma or um at his desk. <laughs> it's like yeah, he's like you go this way. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I I knew I knew you would have the more specific reference there. <laughs> Let's see, it's been a while. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely got that feeling. I also want to say I like Morganon's design. It's like he looks like the stereotypical design of people people would draw for like the devil, except he's also wearing this like fedora and trench coat for some reason. Naturally. <laughs> Almost like he's a flasher. <laughs> and he probably could be because I don't think he's wearing anything underneath that coat. Nope. Not a thing. But yeah, this series take on the uh, underworld, let's just put it that way, because that's what, how they put it. It's very business-like, sort of a federal bureau of damned souls. <laughs> I just like the thing. He's like, okay, I'm on the... It's like, don't forget your imp. And it's like, yes, my, yeah. my imp. And that imp will come back to figuratively bite him in his pointy tail. 
who I would be surprised if that imp is also Frank, but I, I'm not sure. So I mean, they could be they could be doing some tips with the ta- tricks with rather with the tape, like they would like how they would speed up Mel Blanc to for Daffy Duck. Oh God, that reminds me of one of the, my favorite stories about Futurama. Not to go off topic. Well, it's not completely off topic because it has to do with Maurice Lamarche. But uh, oh, it is. Like Maurice Lamarche is the uh, does the voice of the uh, news reporter Morbo on uh, Futurama, and in the first episode that he appeared in, they did like this electronic sound to like make his voice sound more alien. And when uh, Maurice heard it, he imitated the voice with the audio effect like exactly for the next recording, so they didn't have to do any effect. Love it. <laughs> So we're back in Central Park next, and, you know, Cubby is still doing his borscht belt shtick. And up comes Morganon, who immediately proceeds to go into the bargaining. Now, Morganon was instructed to bargain down. I don't think he was expecting to bargain up. (laughs) That's the best part, is when Cubby tells him what he wants, he's so embarrassed about it that he tries to keep upping it. He's like, we can give you friends! I know some people from France. France is really nice. Have you ever had French pastries? <laughs> nope. No, I want all the chickens gone. Eventually, Morganon gets him to agree to something that would get his goal, but still be reasonably uh, competent as far as demonic bargaining goes. The ability to remove anything in the world. And that you know that that's definitely grander than simple poultry persecution. Uh, I just love how embarrassed he is. He's like, he's like, what? And like that the whole time, that imp is just losing his shit, laughing oh, at it. Yeah, I, yeah, he, he's doing what you or I would probably be doing at the moment. I, I do like the really subtle animation where he just kind of like not the 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 imp like, falls over onto the ground, and you just see a subtle animation. He's like, give me a second. And he just, like, has this rock appear in his head, and he throws it down onto the amp. <laughs> it's really subtly done. Yeah, and on Dick's budget, subtle is uh, definitely a rarity. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. But, but yeah, Cubby wakes up the next morning, and he has the ability to make anything he wants disappear. He tests it out on some uh, random uh, apartment building uh, ventilation. And once he's satisfied it's working, what follows is a windy chicken catastrophe. I mean, this is global scale stuff here. It, it, it Yeah, they're all whisked away Wizard of Oz style. He even gets rid of, like, the... Uh... He even gets rid of the uh, chicken like mascot statue on top of one of these buildings. Naturally, because because it's in his line of sight. <laughs> you too, you go. <laughs> With this emergency, the fir- the first people that that they think of to call are the Ghostbusters. I can only imagine the chaos on Janine's uh, very simple nineteen eighties multi line phone. <laughs> I, I love the scene though. It's like, it's like Egon. Are you gonna tell? Because they're already driving. It's like Egon. You're gonna tell us what the uh, what our job is, and Egon's like chickens, and everyone's like, say what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's correct. Say what? Not you, actual chickens. 
You've been staying up doing equations all night, haven't you? You know what that does to you. It winds up, they're going back to the library, and the library, our Bailey librarian, is uh, upping her flirting game. She's wearing Eau de Fungus. (laughs) She's definitely Egon's type. (laughs) What's that fragrance? Do you like it? I, uh... (laughs) It's very... Oh, and even better... Do you have any chickens? Oh, I like that scene, yeah, because she's like, here's here's his number, which honestly should be illegal, but... And, well, yeah, but, you know, global emergency. And then she's like, and here's my number, just in case. And it's like, do you have chickens? I can get some. She's like, and she winks. Yeah, it's just like, uh, uh, ooh, ooh. And Peter uh, puts the cherry on top with, that's gross. <laughs> that's disgusting. Uh, I wish I could do a Marisa. I mean, I'm Marisa Marsh. I wish I could do a Lorenzo music imitation so much. Uh, yeah, my my voice is too nasal for that. It's like, it'd just be so much fun. Gosh, just with all the Garfield memes alone, it would be fun. Bullets don't work, John. But besides that. <laughs> Address in hand, the Ghostbusters spot Cubby, and he offers to show them where the chickens are. Ray accepts <laughs> is now i don't know if this was intentional or not but this just screams call back to are you a god <laughs> no then die ray the next time someone asks you if you're a god you say yes Ray's such a good character. I, I kind of feel like people don't give Ray enough credit for how good of a character he actually is. Now, I want to I want to continue this little digression because in the Ghostbusters comic book adaptation from IDW, in the first issue, Ray's having a dream, and he gets asked this question again by by uh, the the Gozer uh, embodiment that he runs into. You know, the nimble little minx, and this time he says, "Yes, yes, I am." The response? Lies! Few <laughs> more lightning bolts, and, and Ray goes, There is no right answer to that question! <laughs> that comic book is well worth your time, folks. Definitely check it out. Uh, interesting note, uh, not to do another side comment, but uh, recently... This is an FC3 podcast. We are all about the side comments. Walmart is currently... Uh, currently has for sale a re-release of the original Ghostbuster, uh, real Ghostbuster toys from like the eighties. Okay, I, I got a Peter the other day, so nice. I need to get the other four, uh, other three. But um, yeah, it's all four of them, and it's the original toys. It's actually reissues of the original toys. It's really cool. I was just like, that's random. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose it's uh, gearing up for Ghostbusters Afterlife which we'll actually be talking about a little later on in this episode. It even has the Kenner logo on it, which I'm like, does Kenner still even oh. exist? That, that, that makes me happy. Cause that, I, that back. Yeah. Cause I, I think, cause I'm pretty sure Hasbro owns Kenner now, but I could be wrong on that or Mattel or somebody. Yeah. One of the two, we'll, we'll look it up later. Speaking of which, I also got another Ghostbusters-related toy with that, which was uh, 
the Transformers Ghostbuster crossover toy, <laughs> Ectotron. IDW Comics. Yep, Ectotron. It's a Transformer that turns into Ecto-1. How could I resist? <laughs> Absolutely. The so! Only, I love Transformers. The only thing I hate about them is they are pricey. Oh, no kidding. But So that's been our commercial break. After these messages, you'll be right back. I'm actually planning on using that in some episodes. <laughs> I think Drax used it on some of my uh, videos, too. But I'll probably use the, the actual Ghostbusters uh, episode cue, episode commercial cues for this one. So we, we next find our intrepid heroes plummeting their certain doom. Cue the casual danger dialogue. <laughs> I, I think my favorite part is like, it's like, we could, we could, uh, it's like, we could put on parachutes. It's like, what can we do? We could put on parachutes. We don't have parachutes. I know, depressing, isn't it? <laughs> How long will it, would it take to rewire the, the proton packs to, to create a back, a backdraft? A minute and 17 seconds. Too long! <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> Fortunately, the Busters are saved by Morganon. A second before impact, I might add. Oh yeah, and he leads and he leads them to his uh, residence and explains why he wants this whole thing undone. Yeah, to which we get to see. Uh, he he explains it. He's like a demon of my standard, reduced to getting rid of chickens. It's. It's humiliating. And then you see, like, this random, like, demon come in that's obviously voiced by Lorenzo Music saying, <laughs> teasing him about, we were going to get you to do this one mission, but the prince doesn't have feathers. <laughs> giving him oh, crap. The Ghostbusters fly through the collective global population of chickens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, that was part of the thing they were mentioning. It's like, the chickens are flying up. We are plummeting down. Gravity, Peter. <laughs> and not a single Ghostbuster sneezed. A missed opportunity, I think. Oh, when you get used to New York's pollution. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, that, that's reasonable. So, Morgan reveals that if they can get Cubby to reverse the what he had done, he will he will uh, invalidate the bargain. So the Ghostbusters have to come up with a way to trick him into bringing back the chickens. And so they're sent back to the firehouse, and we see Egon at the equation board, and as an aside, Janine now solves the same equation from earlier. <laughs> and then we also see Peter and Winston getting, a, getting feathers out of a lot of pillows. I'm convinced somebody working for a certain stop-motion animation group saw this episode and thought this would be a perfect name for a show to put on Adult Swim. Because <laughs> their solution? Robot Chickens. There you go. Actually, considering the, what Robot Chickens is about, that makes... I wouldn't be surprised if that was the reason. Hopefully someday this podcast will get big enough we'll get to ask them. <laughs> But that might be ten years off. Yeah. See. But so yeah, the Ghostbusters come back and Cubby's already freaking out seeing that they're back. However, they bring out 
all these chickens that Peter, quote, would never work in a million years. But Cubby is so off the deep end, it works in less than a minute. So Cubby intones, I command you to you chickens to go back where you came from! But since they're robots, those the, chi- the robot chickens aren't affected, but the real chickens are. And that's a lot of chickens that land on them. As soon as that happens, Morganon appears and is like, I take back my gift of power. One, two, three, four. No backsies. And to which he's like, thank you. Thank you, guys. You guys are usually a, you guys are usually a pain in my backside. But for this time, we're even. I'll see you guys later. Well, at least one of you. To which Peter replies, why do you guys always look at me when people say stuff like that? No, no comment. <laughs> uh, poor Peter. <laughs> he does kind of bring it on himself occasionally. He does. So we we reach a uh, a hospital where the Ghostbusters are dropping Cubby off, and the doctor is saying he's in good hands. And when he turns around, sweet Mary Magdalene, the man <laughs> has no upper lip. He is nothing but teeth. <laughs> Either that's the worst overbite I've ever seen, or or it's a plastic surgery gone completely wrong. Oh, gosh. It's like that episode of the uh, Looney Tunes show where uh, Daffy gets a beak job, but he gets it too small. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Cubby is recovering, and... and it, was it lunch or dinner served? Yeah, it doesn't think, even matter. Yeah, I think it was dinner. Well, either way, it's it's Morganon, and he's serving chicken. <laughs> Poor Cubby. And oh. end with Cubby screaming. Yeah. And we are going to take a very short break. Ah! The real Ghostbusters will return after these messages. On the next episode of the Penny and James Cartoon Podcast, Girl Power Meets Filmation Campiness, all tied together by the honor of Grayskull. We take a look at the original She-Ra, Princess of Power, from 1985. It successfully carried the power inherited from He-Man, but how well has this toy line tie-in aged? We give our thoughts in two weeks. Ghostbusters. And we're back. Uh, such a good episode. It's, it's, <laughs> it's definitely not one of the better animated shows, but gosh, that is it. The, the whole concept is just so nuts. It's, it's positive. It, it's proof that they were definitely experimenting for plots to fill 65 episodes of paranormal activity while still keeping it just child friendly enough. And best of all, they made it work. I mean, coming up with an insane concept's one thing. Making it work, though, that that's another. Now, a little more in the general wheelhouse of Ghostbusters fiction as a whole. Oh, see what I did there? Ah. Uh-huh. Our second episode is The Hole in the Wall Gang, <laughs> which was written by David Gerald. 
Now, most of you science fiction fans out there would know him for writing the seminal Star Trek episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, and its Deep Space Nine sequel, Trials and Tribulations. He, he also did the uh, Star Trek animated episode, More Tribbles, More Troubles. I th- you think he got typecast? <laughs> Maybe, because to be quite honest, this episode is kind of triblish in a way, in the fact that it starts with something that seems like a small issue and becomes a big issue. No kidding. Our episode opens up, and it's the Scooby-Doo house on a rainy night! Zoinks! It's inhabited by an elderly couple... And what I first thought was the male half of the couple is lying in bed telling these hackneyed jokes. And then he's melting and reassembling all the while. Definitely a um, an interesting hook to start the episode with. Yet never gets brought up again. <laughs> yeah, not once. Not even by the... Uh, by the better half of the couple, who immediately makes a call to the Ghostbusters. Smash cut over to Janine answering the phone, and pretty soon, the boys in, uh, boys formerly in beige, now in uh, their own individual colors, are are off to, to see about cheese. Uh, one thing real quick, I, I forgot to mention something on the previous episode. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Slight, there's a slight plot hole in the episode, but I, I, it's really easy to hand wave it. Morgan said that he had to reverse everything he did. He actually didn't. He just brought back the chickens. Technically, yeah, he, he, the, he didn't bring back the ventilation or the statue. Yep. So, but you know, eh, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> the only part Morgan cared about. Yeah, I, and I think bringing back the chickens was such a was such a um. A, a massive amount of uh, paranormal energy that it probably was enough to invoke the claws. Yep. Just wanted to bring that up. Sorry. <laughs> hey, okay. Again, this is an FC3 podcast. We are all about the diversions. But yes, they are, they are going on a call about cheese. Limburger cheese. At this, and Peter wants out immediately. And <laughs> But it's not literal Limburger cheese. It's Limburger brand cheese. The owner of the house is one Charles Limburger. It turns out he's inherited a mansion in Arkham. Holy call of Cthulhu, Batman. (laughs) I like that Peter's like, that's good. Can I still get out now? (laughs) Of course, Ray knows all about Arkham. Yeah, he said his college had to fight their uh, football team, the... uh... What was it, the Arkham Slugs or something? Yeah, talk about slimy. <laughs> talk about when you're desperate for an animal. Mm. All the other good ones have been taken. Yeah, and only so many teams can call themselves the Wildcats. Or the Tigers. Yeah. So they get to the house, and Winston is still having a bad feeling about the whole thing when none of the others are. You'd think they'd know better by now. <laughs> The door is answered by a short man with a Peter Laurie-esque voice. Which I'm pretty sure is Maurice, but I could it's be... It's gotta wrong. be Maurice. Again, the, the pension for celebrity impressions. I, I thought this was the butler, and because I, I was still under the impression the old man at the beginning was Charles Limburger himself, but it turns out our short stack is Limburger. Yep. 
I know that uh, Frank can also do a Peter Lorre imitation, but this it definitely sounds more like Maurice. Okay. So, Charles and the missus are complaining about nameless horrors with red eyes clawing at the doors and baying at the moon and on and on and on. Peter Venkman identifies them as lawyers. <laughs> this, this is also an example of, like, one of the things I like about this show is this is probably one of the actually worst animated episodes, but they still put in a lot of like visual effects to try to keep it looking somewhat decent. Like the, there's that glow off the fireplace the entire time that Peter's talking and it just looks, it actually looks really nice. Yeah, absolutely. And the detail gone into this description and, and what, and what was going on is actually pretty, pretty well written. I would say. Yep. Oh, I know those. They're lawyers. It's like, so via oh, PKE meter, Egon determines <laughs> it's coming just... from upstairs, and as the Ghostbusters are going up, the Limburgers perform the quickest packing job I have ever seen because they are ready to skip town. This officially makes them the smartest uh, civilians in the Ghostbusters cartoon I've seen yet. Well, <laughs> oh, considering what happens, yeah. maybe not, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> So upstairs, our intrepid heroes find the titular hole in the wall, and Ray is not impressed. Not at In fact, all. he's downright incredulous, yelling into the oh. hole, and and accusing Egon of his equipment malfunctioning. But then Ray gets slimed, much to Peter's delight. <laughs> it's like usually it's me who gets the, who gets that, and then Peter gets slimed, and then he's like, "What?" It's like, well, at least it wasn't in my face, and then gets slimed straight in the middle of his face. That's enough to make Peter lose his cool, and he starts zapping the hole. And then the next thing we see is it's raining power pellets from Pac-Man outside. Does that ever get brought up again? Nope. <laughs> That's two things now. Well, you know, it's for the better. If Peter ate one of those, it, it would it cause a catastrophe. Either that or it would end the episode way too quick. <laughs> I don't think Peter wants to eat ghosts, let's be honest. No, no. But at, at this point, I, I'm showing my uh, my uh, stylistic savviness here because I can tell things are about to get a little crazy because what would normally be background elements are clearly drawn on the cells. I'm talking about things like dressers, mirrors, pictures on the wall, and like that. The house starts shaking, and those drawn elements all come crashing to the floor... And out emerges, certainly clawed and red-eyed, but it's a little itty-bitty reptilian specter. It, they, they figure it's barely worth the trouble. But Peter still decides to take it out and get it trapped. However, not after causing quite a bit of damage and quite a bit of holes throughout the walls of the room. Oh, yeah. And it's from this point the episode... Uh, it takes a detour into wacky land <laughs> because from each and every single hole, another distinct ghost emerges. And just about all these ghosts are basically sight gags. I, I, my favorite one was one of them was literally just a banana with a horrified face on it. <laughs> and there was another one in a diaper on a swing set. <laughs> But every single hole has a monster coming, has a ghost coming out of it. And more and more and more and more and more. So Ray actually thinks they're cute. And as we come back from commercial break on this episode, 
there are ghosts mimicking the Ghostbusters perched on their heads and shoulders. <laughs> what they uh, didn't spend in animation, they must have spent in terms of character design for this episode. Maybe that's why this, this one's animated so cheaply. <laughs> and also, there's a few animation errors I picked up on this one that I didn't necessarily see as much in Chicken He Clucked. Because there's at least a few times where I'm seeing Egon's mouth animating, but there's no words coming out. Yeah, a good example of that was... Because uh, they decided to put in a probe and have Winston like break open like one of the holes to a bigger size so they can put a probe into it to find out what's going on. And yeah, a good example of that is uh, Ray says, Ready, CB! And you clearly see Egon mouth say who, and then never mind, but all you hear is never mind. Right. And just before that, when Egon is asked the Ghostbusters to lend him a hand, he gets a spectral hand, and his mouth is moving there too, but Diddly squats coming out. Yep. Oh, and Diddly just left town. <laughs> so said drone probe winds up leading to Ray getting sucked into the hole. Which causes the rest of the Ghostbusters to panic and they make the hole even bigger trying to save Ray. But he emerges downstairs. And three things have happened. His hair has turned white. His voice is a falsetto. And he's reciting Tennyson. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think it's Tennyson. It's poetry, certainly. Which, obviously, something has happened, yet Peter's just like, yeah, he's normal. <laughs> I, I, I love the scene, though. It's like, what'd you see in there? I saw the spirit realm. I, I saw... what it, It's Twilight like the, the Twilight Zone. The Outer Limits. I, I love Luke. There's your so, bonus for this episode. He's like, you saw all that? Yeah, it was on the way out. <laughs> obvious old school TV show references are obvious. <laughs> now at this point, Winston makes a discovery. These little itty bitty cockroach ghosts emerging from a tiny hole separated from the walls. And that clues Egon and eventually the rest of the Ghostbusters in that the size of the hole matters. And our dirty minds ran rampant. Size does matter. Oof. At least it did until Venkman discovers a massive hole in one of the walls. Uh, before we get to that, though, I do want to say I love that scene where Winston just shit has that like little piece of piece of like wood with the hole in it, and he's just shaking it, and all these teeny tiny ghosts are just coming out of it and flopping on the floor. And, and Ray's like, "That's something to shake a stick at," and Peter's like. I'll do the jokes, Ray. <laughs> but yes, it's like, the smaller the hole, the smaller the ghost. It's like, the bigger the hole, the bigger the ghost. And Peter's like, I wish you didn't just say that. <laughs> just shows him this giant, like, almost, like, entire wall-sized hole. And if it wasn't wall-sized then, the Ghostbusters sure make it wall-sized after they hear this high-pitched screech from, a, from something from the great beyond. Decide to shoot the hole, but oops, they made it even bigger. Yeah, it, it was less effective than shooting magic missiles at the darkness. <laughs> so they then get the bright idea of trying to make whatever is going through this massive hole, tr then funnel through a smaller hole. I'm so. not sure how the physics of that works, 
But I, I've seen stranger leaps of them, in especially in the cartoon we're talking about next time. Yes. <laughs> so they cut out one of the holes from the wall, which you'd think would just make a bigger hole, but besides that, <laughs> and it's like, hey, look, we just created the portable hole. <laughs> and the Acme Company sues. <laughs> oh, Winston, you didn't need that lawsuit. <laughs> now, this has... This does not have the intended effect. This creates so much ecto-energy that it tears down the mansion, to which Peter responds, they need to resort to plan B. What's plan B? I, I like, which is another error, because it's like when everybody else responds with plan B, they also have Peter say plan B. Which is like, he, he's just the one who suggested it. Why would he sit for spot with that? And I think during this sequence, we see Ray's hair revert back to orange for a scene. Yep. So everybody runs as the entire mansion comes down, but things are things still aren't doing well. No, via the PKE meter, Egon is able to discover that now that massive hole is 50 feet wide. And whatever's going to be coming out of that is going to is what they presume to be the biggest ghost they've ever taken on. Considering the sheer size of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, that's saying something. I'm not sure if they meant ever or just the biggest ghost they're dealing with right then, but still, yes, it's yeah. going to be massive. Yeah, e- either way. I mean, either. I mean, I mean, I don't think the dialogue was necessarily as specific as it could have been, but but still, it's it's. It's semantics with a problem this big in your face. Yeah. But then Winston makes a little discovery. He still has the tiny hole. And which Ray says that he should just throw it away. That is what uh, spawns Egon to say, Ray, you're brilliant. Just throw that hole into the big hole. It, and it turns out they're actually correct this time. The size differential, even more magnified, causes the two holes to collapse onto each other just as this big, screechy creature is about to start coming through. Which uh, gives a good moment for Winston, because Winston's like running back. He's like, I knew I should have played football when I was a kid. <laughs> but uh, they also reference the fact that he likes... Uh, he uh, cart- The cartoon version of Winston likes baseball a lot, and they kind of reference that because uh, when he throws the... Uh, he throws the the hole back into the other hole or into the ghost. He full out does a baseball pitch with it. Yes, and and it's strike three. The ghosts are out. Just in time for the Lindbergers to return. Yeah, and 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 they're aghast at what's happened to their home. Just as the Ghostbusters leaving, and Peter's telling telling them, "Wait till you see the bill." <laughs> Yeah, he's like, we'll send you the bill. Ends with a good reference. Oh, yes, yes. To cap this episode off, Mr. Lindberger says, this is what you get for bringing on unskilled labor. You should have called the real Ghostbusters. To which his wife goes, I thought I did. (laughs) Womp, womp. Nice little side reference to, like, the Filmation show. Which, believe it or not, is not the only time the Filmation show has been referenced in the syndicated season of The Real Ghostbusters. Oh, oh, do tell. 
Yeah, there's a oh I forgot what his name is, but there's this guy that he appears in two episodes that he's this fake paranormal guy. Uh, I can't remember his name at the moment. Uh, but the first episode he appears in is an ep episode where, and it's the only one he's prominent in. The second one he's just kind of a cameo. But the first episode he's prominent in it has to do with uh, Ray's uh, aunt Lois hire uh, has like ghosts in her house, and instead of hiring the Ghostbusters, she hired hired the spiritualist. Uh, I still can't remember his name, but he comes in, and while he doesn't look like Jake Kong from the uh, Filmation Ghostbusters show, he's dressed exactly like him, Ooh. complete with the, even the little weird camera thing around his neck. Oh, yeah, and keep in mind, this syndicated season came out just as Filmation was in the process of creating, or rather, the process of releasing their final syndicated series, Brave Star. As, you know, we, we love to rag on Lou Scheimer, but this feels a little bit like kicking dirt on the grave. <laughs> well, if anybody had the right to kick some dirt on the Filmation Ghostbuster show, this one kind of did, but... Um, I Filmation is a company I both uh, I love Filmation, but I also I think my I have a very love hate relationship with Filmation. I I love them, but I also love giving them crap. But to their credit, uh, Brave Star, their final show they did, Brave Star, is definitely by far the most highest quality overall show I think they ever made. It was actually pretty impressive, all things considered. To be true, yes. It, it definitely looked like they were putting far more effort into that one than I think a lot of their previous stuff. So I am going to give credit to that. Yeah, we will definitely talk more about Brave Star, the Filmation Ghostbusters, and their connection in the aforementioned future episode. <laughs> so as the years went on, the real Ghostbusters ran afoul of, of standards and practices, as we alluded to, and they wanted a more kid-friendly product, begetting Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, they they decided to uh, they decided everybody needed uh, simpler personalities. Thus, uh, and this is the exact word, seemingly. Peter's the con artist. Egon's the smart guy. Ray is the child, and Winston's the driver. Yes, that was done to quote unquote clarify his role. Um, racist much? Uh, it. Is worth interest. It is worth mentioning they they also kind of dissected Ray's personality a bit when they did that because Ray was kind of the mechanic on the show until that happened, and now all of a sudden Winston was not just the driver, but he was also the mechanic. Yeah, that talk about an author's saving throw there, <laughs> just to protect Winston from just being the chauffeur. Uh, though it's also worth mentioning that those same people that were putting that show together, uh, who were putting those changes in at one point actually said that they actually tried to get rid of Ray altogether. Um, because they said Ray was a pointless character. Ouch. You know what the biggest ouch about that is? I think the only actor from the movie that actually religiously watched the cartoon show was Dan Aykroyd. Oh no. On the plus or, side, they did expand Janine's role in those later seasons. Yeah, but they completely changed her personality. They kind of made her the team mom instead of sarcastic uh, secretary. True. 
You know, you win some, you lose some, and they did at least address that in the episode, Jeanine, you've changed. That was actually a really cool way of doing it, which was by Straskinski, I might add. Yeah. And uh, and also, the other changes included extending the show to a full hour. And what did they do to fill the void? Slimer. Lots and lots of Slimer. A Slimer-specific supporting cast. A Slimer-specific antagonist. Just Slimer as far as the slime could slime. Yeah, not only was Slimer given a more big part in the normal Ghostbuster episodes, they'd also uh, bookend every episode with two Slimer-specific cartoons that were drawn in a far more slapsticky, cartoony style. And just felt weird. Yeah. The only thing that was weirder is later, <laughs> while those Slimer episodes didn't stay around, later episodes of the real Ghostbusters would drop those Slimer bookends, but they would still have some of the Slimer characters appear in normal real Ghostbuster episodes after that. And while trying to convert some of those characters into the Ghostbuster art style is wonky, to say the least. Wow. Because uh, I think the one that they did use the most was that professor guy that was obsessed with capturing Slimer. Right. Yeah, we'll, we will definitely delve into those characters more in the future. Though I, I have to mention the, in my opinion, dumbest thing, uh, dumbest censor note they got during that, the, all those changes, which was uh, Janine's glasses had to be rounded because sharp edges scared children. Because originally she had this weird kind of modern art looking like angular 80s glasses, but now now she has to have normal Harry Potter round glasses because those, those ooh, sharp edges scare children. What even? <laughs> what so, even? So the show eventually wraps up in 1991. Roughly half a decade later, a follow-up called Extreme Ghostbusters would arrive in syndication for a season featuring Egon, voiced by the returning Maurice LaMarche, mentoring a new group of Ghostbusters. And when that show's actually pretty decent. Yeah, it was, it was, it was solid. And ID, IDW Comics would take both cartoons, make them a part of their Ghostbusters Comics multiverse with the various incarnations of these characters crossing over with their movie counterparts and the 2016 movie Ghostbusters every now and again. Nice. Yeah, and like I said, IDW stuff is definitely worth checking out if you're if you're a fan of, of the show or the movies. Definitely catches the, the tone of the movies and blends the art style of of the cartoon and the movies into a very nice whole. That's I definitely need to check this out. I unfortunately have not. The only IDW comic I've read any of, and even in that case it's sporadic installments, has been the uh, Sonic ones, which are Surprisingly, really good. Okay. Okay. So, let's get this episode wrapped up. Uh, so, over 30 years later, does Bustin still make us feel good? I would say yes. I actually freaking love this show. Well, eh, the later seasons, not so much. But I, I love season two, the syndicated season, a whole lot. Like, all of my favorite, ep almost all of my favorite episodes are in this season. Because... This season is really good, and it's cool how experimental they got, or just 
and and some of the stuff they'd reference or come up with and just making it feel more paranormal. It feels more like a continuation of the movie than I think a lot of the others, a lot of the laser seasons do. And it, and I don't know, I just like how it feels like, I, I like the fact that unlike some shows I revisit as an adult, I can still enjoy this and it doesn't feel like an ironic enjoyment. Um, it's, I still think it's a very solid and well-written show. I have to mostly agree with that. I definitely think the writing is absolutely rock solid. The voice acting is much better than most of the of the fair going on at the time. And, you know, gen- the artistic creativity is glorious, even if the animation doesn't quite keep up all the time. I wish the, uh, the transfers of the show I got on YouTube were a little higher quality or were remastered or, or something like that. But uh, that's basically my biggest quibble with what with the copies I wound up with. Yeah, well, at least at least we're able to get them. That's yes. more you, than you can say for some shows. Yes, and if you yourself are interested in taking a stroll down '80s memory lane, you can easily access Ghostbusters episodes uh, on YouTube for two bucks a pop. And there are definitely there are season sets available. Well, actually, I don't think it's a season set. I think it's a full. A, series. a whole series box set in the shape of the firehouse that was released a good while ago. They also have, they do have seasons two or well, it's not exactly seasons, but it's like big chunks of episodes in like box sets as well. So yeah, this is definitely out there for the taking. And in fact, in, in the prep for ghostbusters afterlife coming out later this year, the ghostbusters YouTube channel is slowly, but surely going through the seas, the episodes of both this and Extreme Ghostbusters, and releasing them for free. So actually, nice. probably start there first if you're if you want to see how interested you are in going back to this show. Uh, see, if we ever revisit this show in a later podcast, I'll have to pick episodes where like the some of the better epi- animated episodes because they do have some episodes where the animation got outsourced to TMS in Japan, and it looks a lot nicer. But absolutely. And we'll probably come back to the show with a guest, too, just so we can get a fresh set of eyes on this. So, that should just about wrap up this episode. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corky. And until next time, we're going to head out to the grocery store and restock the breakfast cereal. See ya! The opinion changed to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.